guys. Hello and welcome to the State of Sport Fishing presented by Bill Fishing. This is going to be episode four. Today we're joined by Leo Chapman, Skipjack, myself, Chase Nieder, and special guest John Floyd, the president of FNS Boatworks. John, we're incredibly happy to have you. Thank you for coming on, man. Well, thank, thank you, you guys for having me. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. I yeah, so to... go, ahead, go ahead, Leo. Yeah, I wanted to kind of uh, preface this by uh, kind of saying how we got to know John, me personally, and the whole FNS team. Um, uh, I'll go and then you guys can give it for introduction. But with me, basically, um, so my family owns the Hate Trauma boat, and before we bought ours, I think it was 14 back then, we sea trialed the Magic Touch, which was the 70. What, 72 or 68, John? 68. 68, I remember. And back then, my grandfather was alive, and, and he was a big fan of going fast. And he, back then, that 68 was one of the f only boats who could really do like 43, 44 knots. Um, and we, we almost bought the boat. And I remember the, the main thing was the speed. And since then, that was kind of my first encounter. Um, then I went to a boat show when I was maybe 16 years old, like super young. And uh, I met Jim Floyd, and he's your uncle, right, John? That's correct. Yeah, and he and, and again, I was super young at the time, and they treated me so so well. I got a shirt, I got the private tour, and since then, I've just been in love with the FNS brand. So that's my FNS story. So, John, I just want to ask you if you can start off by giving us a little bit of history behind FNS, how you guys got started, you know, what the deal is there. And then we'll ask you some questions. That way we can get to know the brand a little bit and get to know your boats a little bit better. Sure. Um, well, FNS was started in 1996 by uh, my uncle, Jim Floyd. The company was really uh, his, his, it was born from his desire to bring about a design that he'd been working on for quite a long time. My family, we've been really big into sport fishing for a few decades I mean, my whole life uh i always used to joke with people most kids got to go to disney world i got to go to Wan Chi's like over and over and over again uh, I, but it was cool i got to spend a lot of time as a kid you know especially around ricky scarborough shop um really around a lot of those guys down there who to me were always kind of pioneers and heroes but i'd be following my dad and my uncle around. Um, they owned a number of Ricky boats. We owned the uh, original Sea Toy, which was a 50 Scarborough. Uh, and then one of the founders of the company, along with my uncle, was a gentleman by the name of Ken Simpler, who owned uh, two different Scarboroughs. He owned the Fanatic, which was based out of Indian River, Delaware, and then the Surfside, named after his hotel in Nags Head, North Carolina, which fished out of Oregon Inlet under Captain Dean Johnson. Uh, I was pretty fortunate to fish alongside, you know, my dad, my uncle, but also Captain Bull Tolson, who ran the Sea Toy, and uh, like I said, Dean Johnson on the the surf side, who I caught my first billfish with when I was probably eight years old. Um, but my uncle had this desire after learning, you know, the way the the cold molding process worked from the Carolina boys to take the 23 sea craft, which for my dad and, and uncle was like the ultimate riding small boat. And 
he wanted to take that design and translate it into an offshore custom sport fish. So he built a couple of scale models, one of which he eventually sent for tank testing uh, overseas. And the report, we still have it hanging in the office, just came back with amazing glowing reviews. At one point, I, I know it, it reads that it had tested better than any sport fish design that, that the facility had tested. So it kind of gave him the ammunition to really go after it. Um, but that's, that's really what created FNS is that, that hull, the, the longitudinally stepped variable dead rise hull, uh, originally designed by Carl Mosley for Seacraft that, uh, we translated into, into a bigger boat. So was that, is that considered a Potter hull or well, no, I guess. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to get into that. There's, there's a whole argument uh, amongst Seacrest in, enthusiasts that I really don't want to get entangled in. But so the Potter built Seacraft typically refers to a 1976, 1980 Seacraft hull. But it's very important to, for me to point out that it is a Mosley designed, but Potter built. So uh, though Potter was the man pushing pushing the actual building of the boat it's based on carl mosley's design which was very well tested in offshore racing before he ever went into the recreational fishing world and that is uh, like i said the longitudinally stepped variable dead rise and for the people who are listening to the podcast don't really know what the step toll is because obviously we're in the industry we know what you're talking about mm-hmm. can you kind of explain um to people back home listening to this because they can't see kind of what that entails? Sure. Um, if you look at the bottom of, of any of your sport fishing boats in the yard, you're going to notice that they're, they're all fairly similar, right? They, they use something like a, a lifting strake or you know, some kind of a, a pressure creating design to give the hull lift. The longitudinal step is exactly that. There are multiple steps built into the hull, two on, on either side of the keel, uh, that create, uh, they actually call it release pressure. But each different step is at a different angle of dead rise. So if you can imagine, at the keel, you're going to have your sharpest point, your, your most dead rise. And that's really to create that uh, initial cutting surface. That's what's going to be cutting through the waves. As you go outboard, there's going to be less dead rise. So you have a step up, a few inch step that's going to jump up to a flatter dead rise surface. Then another step, which jumps out, which is out to the chine, which is, is relatively flat. That's your most stable, low speed uh, planing surface. That gives you your immediate lift. But again, as the, as the boat takes that immediate, that, that lift from the outside step, it's on plane and you're going to slowly transition into sharper and sharper surfaces to the point where a lot of the time the chines are completely out of the water. And that has a couple of different effects. Number one, it's going to create aeration along the hull, which is going to reduce friction and create a softer ride. But it's, it's also going to have a multi-keel effect. That's why the vessels track so much better. You know, they tend to track in a straight line because if you can imagine, it's like having three different hulls running on one on one boat bottom um and it's uh i i tend to get a little carried away when i talk about it because it is quite complex but it's just 
it's an amazing, amazing design. Uh, really a, a, a feat of engineering that Carl Mosley was able to put together in an amazingly short amount of time that we we just feel like there's nothing in the world that can compete with the the stability it creates, the tracking, um, and also the speed. You know, that's one thing we always talk about with our boats is is speed, and we 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 think all of that is attributed to our our variable dead rise. So, if I understand correctly, when you with the traditional, not traditional, with the center console stepped hole, kind of the way we see on sea these contenders, where the stepped hole from the side angle. You can see the the steps, but with your yachts, it's from the front, right? When you see the correct? well, what we're used to talking about step tolls today, we're typically talking about a transverse step, okay? Which is a basically a cutout into the side of the vessel to create aeration. We don't have a transverse step like that. Uh, that's a, a Peter's design. Our boats have a have two steps either side of the keel that run from the bow or basically the chine, the, the chine and bow junction all the way through to the transom. So the whole bottom of the boat is a set of steps that run forward to aft. There is not just one flat surface that transitions. So it's probably a lot more lift than a typical center console uh, step. Yeah, it's, um, well, again, that outboard step is what creates all the lift. Um, it's, it's just, it's hard to describe other than, than to say it's very unique and you got to take a look at it in order to really appreciate how much different it is than your, your traditional bottom. Uh, it's a lot more work. I can tell you that it's just like, it looks like three different hulls on each side. It's, we, we have to build it that way too, which is probably the reason it's not uh, replicated more, you know, it's it's much easier and more cost efficient to just plank a whole bottom. You could plank a bottom of a boat or one side of a boat in a day. For us, we've got to do that three different times on each side of the keel. Wow. wow. The uh, my question with it is, for like a wet and a dry boot, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everyone says you can't have one that's wet or can't have one that's rides soft and dry. You know, I've talked to some guys that work on the boats, Tucker, and so on and so forth. They've all had glaring views. Do you feel that your hull, you know, with the way the step is and the chine, is that helping get you that dry effect? Yeah. So or that dry ride. I think a a dry boat is uh, not necessarily the result of one specific thing, but I do believe that our outboard step and the, you know, the relatively flat bottom there, uh, very little dead rise at the chine from, from our final step out to the chine, it, it, that's going to certainly contribute to the dry ride. But a lot of it comes into the way your chine is laid, the, the spray rail. The, uh, one of the things that I always talk about is the simple design, bottom angle on your spray rail, something that simple can really impact the amount of spray that's kicked up onto the bridge. Um, you know, a rounder, softer rail is going to allow a lot more spray to kick out over the flare of the boat and hit the bridge. Whereas a nice hard edge to that spray rail is going to deflect water downward. Simple little things like that can make a huge impact. But uh, I do believe that a lot of it has to do with our, our outboard step being so flat. I think most guys 
like that we deal with they're all worried about how what is it in the cockpit yeah um but when it comes to the exterior of your boots mm-hmm. always beautiful great looking boots i got i got to see the special situation this the snafu recently i, I looked at it while i was in a down here in american uh absolutely beautiful boots but the interiors on them are awesome um so that brings me to my question who's i mean are you guys doing all your interior design in-house how involved with that are you well we're we're heavily involved we we design every every step of the way interior exterior but a lot of it does go out to you know your partnerships and and the people you work with we work with some amazing people um we've worked for for years uh, gosh i guess we've been in business for 25 years so almost 20 years now with uh steven stevenson french at applied concepts they've been uh great partners larry belkoff at belkoff yachts in annapolis is a great guy to work with on our interiors so uh, you know i I would love to say that uh, love to take credit for it all but i think like any boat builder we're we're more of some of of the partners and partnerships we have um we certainly uh we do a lot of the work in-house a lot of the custom woodwork but having partners like uh like stevenson at applied and larry to help us lay out those interiors lay out the lines of the boat make sure that our proportions are right uh, select the right veneers you know it definitely takes a team to make sure that all comes together and makes a nice boat i mean you you guys have such a modern look and take on the boat where a lot of guy a lot of boat builders nowadays are kind of sticking to you open the door everything's a straight line pretty much you're looking straight down the uh thing when you know you go on some of your boats you look down that uh the hallway or whatever companionway whatever you want to call it you look down and it's got that nice sway that kind of rides with the boat and i feel like it, it gives it a feel where the boat's bigger than it actually is in a lot of cases and I, I think you guys nailed it in that aspect for the design that I like personally. But Well, a question that I have for you, John, is in terms of the look on the outside, are there certain limitations to what you can customize on your boats? I assume you can't change the window, but I can't, are there other aspects of the boat that you're limited to changing as well, or is that it? Uh, we, we try to be very customer-oriented when it comes to design and but certain things like you said our window line that's that's trademark we've spent a lot of time designing that but one of the things that we we don't compromise on is that that sleek performance look and sometimes that's a uh, can be a complication Uh, a lot of clients want you know they want a, a huge bridge with you know room to entertain up there with massive tables and bench seating and you know that just that in order to accommodate that you've got to build a big house and for me i I think a lot of guys went off course with that a little bit over the past few years kind of let the the luxuriousness of of the bridge take over the effect or what it was originally intended for right to be be a platform for the captain and it it led to these huge houses and that's just not the way we're going to build a boat i think if you look at it, the profile of ours, they're very sleek um 
we don't have a, any of our boats that have some massive bridge where you're going to entertain, you know, 15 people and serve cocktails. It's just it, for us, that's not what what creates that that look and also the aerodynamic performance that we're looking for. You want your boat to primarily be a fishing boat. Absolutely. That's that's what it's made for. And that's not to say we don't want people to enjoy it, but we're performance first and performance and, and lines. Um, and I just, I think that needs to be, it, it needs to meet certain proportion guidelines, if you want to say. I, I don't know exactly how to put that, but we definitely have a look that we, we make sure we stick with. Um, and I mean, you guys, your boots definitely stand alone. There's, you know, from the, I call, I always called it like a reverse sweep on the back of the house mm -hmm. in the cockpit. Uh, I can always tell when an F F and S boats kind of going by and it's, you know, you guys stand out. What, what I always, what I always respected of F and S is that you guys were never afraid to try new things. A lot of builders, you know what I mean? They'll, 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 they'll keep one look. But, I mean, you guys have done small expresses. You guys have done weird um, um, ladders to the bridge with a bunch of curves. You've done a boat with a, with a bow rail and a, a hard top that like, does like a two backflips and comes to the cockpit. Well, the Freya. Yeah, the Freya. Um, yeah, she's actually uh, down at the boat show right now with, uh, with Mr. McGregor. Um, you know, for us, a lot of it comes down to, um, look, we're, we're in Bear, Delaware. We're, we're on the, the C&D Canal. We, we're not in, the, in Palm Beach. We're not in Juan Cheese. We're not necessarily a boat-building destination. But uh, that being said, we think we, that, that our product is uh, just as good, if not better, than anything out there. And we... Yeah, sometimes we we'll take on a project that, you know, somebody may not. But that's just because we have amazing people. You know, our 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 craftsmen I I put above anybody in the industry, and we're very proud of our people. And we're not afraid to tackle a challenge. You know, that Freya was that was a challenge. But again, I go back to partnerships. We had we had not just us. We had Drew and the guys at Palm Beach Towers too, who were. Uh, another just amazing partner we have that tackled that problem with us. And um, we've had some unique bridge designs, things like that, uh, that, that clients have requested. And we've, we've always tackled them head on and tried to produce a beautiful boat. And I, I just know our guys aren't afraid of anything. As long as we can make it look pretty and sexy, we're, we'll, we'll give it a shot. But if it doesn't work, we're also not afraid to rip it off and toss it in the trash. <laughs> we've done that a couple of times so too. How many how many hauls have you guys produced now? So we've got uh, thirty on well twenty nine on the water. We don't ever build thirteen, but uh, we've produced twenty nine boats and we've got three under production right now. Uh, we'll be launching the newest boat here in uh, July, and we've got a few more on the drawing board, uh, ready ready to go. Is it true that you started in a chicken coop? Not a coop, but a chicken house. No, it's we actually didn't start there, but not. Uh, I, I'll tell you this: we started in a in a pole building behind uh, one of my uncle's friends. That 
transitioned into a short stay in a chicken house. Yes, it was. We did not have a facility up here that was built that could handle, uh, at that time, it was the Huntress that we were working on, hall number two. And um, there was a huge commercial chicken operation here. Um, it's actually probably less than a half mile from where I'm sitting right now and uh, being developed into about 10,000 houses right now. But it was a chicken house at one point. And uh, thankfully, we were only there for a few months while our new buildings got constructed. So uh, we've been in the same place ever since we left there. That, I mean, that's a huge come up yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's a long but congratulations to long you guys. Time ago. That's very inspiring. And, and let me ask you this, John, because um, I have had some people ask us, if you were to go back in time and if you could give yourself or um, anyone who's younger and wants to start into the boat, boat building career, whether that be starting their own boat building um, business or working at one, what piece of advice would you have for him or her? Um, I would say g get into it. I mean, get dirty, get messy, spend as much time with the, the guys doing it right now as you can because there is honestly there's there there's a golden generation of boat builders out there right now that aren't going to be around for a whole lot longer and if you're a young guy right now you've got to get in there get your hands dirty get covered in fiberglass with those guys learn from them i've got guys like you know my uncle and and joey bonvetti and jeff booth you know guys that have been with us for 20 over 20 years flavio Saldivar, who's my foreman now um, there's only one way to do it. You're not going to do it sitting on a computer, you know, working on CAD. That's great. That can come later, but you got to get in there and get dirty and learn from those masters while you have the chance. Cause you know, I don't, I don't see a wealth of, of young boat builders out there right now. Um, and a lot of the older guys are kind of moving on and I think it's an opportunity right now to get in and, and learn some amazing things. Nowadays, with speed being like, you know, the top, everyone's pushing for the next fastest boat. What are you guys doing to help that along? And what's the newest things that are coming out to help that along? You know, are you guys throwing bigger engines into the boats? Uh, you know, what are you guys doing to make it as easy or as fast and fuel efficient as possible? Because everyone's worried about, you know, there's new cat 32 B's are coming out and they're sticking them in 58 and 60 footers, you know, trying to run 2000 horsepower through them and go 50 knots. You know, what are you guys doing to try and keep up with that or get ahead of it? Cause you guys for a while were the, you know, and are still one of the fastest boats on the water and as well as one of the best riding. And building up on Chase's question. Do you think, there's a limit because we just saw the 63 foot Spencer do 53 knots at 60 miles an hour. I mean, you just can't do that in any rough seas. I don't think so. But we're just not able to handle it. Like what, what is there a limit? Do you think? Well, uh, I definitely think there's, there's a, a limit with our, with the technology we have now, but you know, let's face it. We keep, we keep pushing this and uh, as long as we can keep reducing weight, keep keep stiffness up reduce weight and increase horsepower we'll we'll always be able to go faster you now we built uh the full throttle years ago um 
that was a, a 51, 52 knot boat with a traditional drivetrain, 64 uh, express boat. And, you know, that was, I'm, I'm, we built it for performance, but we don't, we know we didn't compromise our, we still had giant Doug fur stringers and, you know, three layers of Akumi and Kevlar and lots of glass. I think that there's a lot of ways to push the envelope. I know we're doing a lot of things right now. We've got some great things in the works as far as wake adjusted drivetrain using, you know, computational fluid dynamics to really examine, you know, do we have drag points that we can reduce? Uh, and then, then creating a drivetrain that, that helps us minimize that. There's some amazing technology out there. We talked, you talked about the Spencer boat with the jet drives. I don't, I don't know how, if that's going to be the future, but who knows? Maybe, maybe it is, maybe something else will come along right now. Um, we just know that there's, there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to taking a look at the build and reducing weight. That's a big thing for us right now, moving into your, your lighter, stiffer composites. But, you know, it's kind of a, what's the new technology? What's that next thing? Is somebody else is, is now the cats come out with their 2400. That's a 12 cylinder block. You know, what's MTU going to come out with at 16 cylinders? Are they going to push the M96 2650 up even higher? I mean, horsepower is what's kind of restricted us to this point. Uh, we can make some tweaks to things like the drivetrain. We can, you know, propeller technology's come a long way. But I, I really think that uh, as long as composites keep getting lighter and these engine manufacturers keep throwing more and more horsepower out there, these boats are going to go faster and faster. Do I do I feel a need for a boat to go, you know, sixty knots? Well, no, but I also fish the the canyons in the Mid Atlantic. It'd be nice to have a shorter run home, you know. You sailfishing yeah. boys down in Florida get to go outside the inlet and start trolling. That's pretty nice. I don't know why you need to go sixty knots, but I could sure use it sometimes. Sixty knots where I'm fishing. By the time you get to sixty knots, you pretty much pulling back off the. Exactly. Exactly. But, what, you know, what, what, what has been the biggest contributor to getting your boats faster? Has it been primarily weight reduction or both more horsepower and weight reduction? It, uh, they, go, they go hand in hand. Um, we're always trying to find that, that edge. But I don't know. If you've ever been on one of our boats, you take a look. We, we have a, a pretty robust build. I, I, we've got massive stringers. You know, our transoms tend to be five to six inches thick back there. Um, but we like that. We like a stiff boat because the more horsepower we're putting in them, the better they're going to handle it. The, you know, keeping that build nice and stiff. Eventually, are we going to go to to move away from traditional Doug fur and Akumi? I hope not. I think that's what what contributes to soft ride and and less vibration and less sound. I think wood is is very underappreciated, but. We have to at some point, right? If it's all about weight, we got to look to to composites in order to reduce that weight. You brought up the robust builds, but when you look at the interiors of your boats, like I said earlier, there nothing's lacking in there. You know, you, you guys aren't aren't doing this with a simple charter boat interior. You're doing this with interiors that would stand up to anybody in luxury. And how are you guys reducing weight in there? while keeping that, you know, beautiful, luxurious interior? Well, the, the interiors are a whole engineering 
feat in themselves. Um, you know, you look at all the, the furniture and all the beautiful curves and, and sweeping lines in there, but we've had to reduce uh, massive amounts of weight. We do all the, the structural walls and bulkheads in there are, are honeycomb tricell to in order to reduce weight but keep stiffness. Um, and what happens, we take that, it's a, a vacuum laminated tricell honeycomb that we put a, a very thin, beautiful veneer on. It allows you to have a, a very pretty piece of furniture. It looks like it's solid teak because it is, it is real teak veneer. But the, the structure behind it is a, a super lightweight composite honeycomb that reduces weight throughout the boat. Same goes for the floors, which are, are all composite now. Uh, we use a, a, a Corsell M-Foam for all of our, our structural soles. And, you know, even things down to the stone we use, right? We're, we're taking all of our stone panels and resawing them down as thin as possible to keep it, it safe and reduce cracking, but it's epoxy to an aluminum honeycomb to reduce weight. You guys, right now, what's the build time on, I mean, obviously, in, I'm assuming an 82 foot boat's gonna take longer than a 58. I know you guys have, I think, two 82s in, in the process of being built right now and a 58 as well. Uh, what's your build time looking like right so now? So for the 82-foot boat, uh, we're looking at 24-month build time. Uh, the 58, we're going to be able to finish within uh, 18 months. But I, I think that it, for us, once you start to creep over that kind of 68-foot mark, is when we're, we're moving to we're pretty much on a 24 month schedule um, especially in this covid world where we're all having to you know think of new ways and new resources to to get our material that's a huge issue right now uh, i think you'll probably see some of these timelines start to stretch out over the next few years until the supply chain catches back up but for us we're always trying to reduce that i think we're just in a weird time right now where you know, a lot of the composites and, and plywoods that we get are all coming over from overseas. And um, unfortunately, we always like to deliver early, but um, I, I do think we're going to be able to meet our deadlines and stick within a 24-month schedule, even on those big boats. What's the quality control process like at FNS? Like when a boat is done, do you sea try them? Do you fish them a day? And what if something goes wrong? Well, so we have a, a, a very rigorous protocol once the boat hits the water uh, that involves all of our partners, whether it be, say, CME on the electronic side or Palm Beach Towers to, to handle their piece, but primarily with us and MTU or Caterpillar, whoever the engine provider is, man. Um, obviously, we have a number of sea trials the vessel goes through to test various aspects. We have a, a very rigid checklist that we have to go through with all of our suppliers, especially the engine guys. And um, we always test our boats fully loaded, which means when, when we go out on sea trial, she's fully decked. So there's all the furniture's installed, all your electronics, full tower. We don't ever sea trial a boat without that. Um, and that allows us to kind of go through all of our checklists within about a one week period, weather permitting. We can take the boat out and do our initial sea trials for, for to handle all of our drivetrain and mechanical checklists. We can take it back out and we can test all of our electronics. Um, 
usually within a one week period, we're able to go through the full sea trial process and have the boat ready for delivery. Wow. Wow. And how, when, let's say you're talking to an owner right now who's about to build a boat, how involved are they going to be with you or do you have someone who's like specifically sticks to one project and you know works with them the whole time or is that you who's kind of always there and you know who's who's there who's the primary person when it comes to building a boat and working with the captain or the owner and making sure everything's you know you guys strive for perfection obviously you can see it in the boats that you build um but who is it that's you know, is it you that's so involved with them and getting everything they want, or do you have someone specifically assigned to each? No, boat? you know, we we're building three boats right now. Uh, God willing, we'll be around for 25 more years. I plan to still be building three boats, and a big reason for that is the the quality control and the project management. You know, we do have project managers for each build, but that being said, you know, I've got. I said before, our foreman, uh, Flavio Saldivar, uh, our, our sales manager, Chris Michael, and myself, who uh, were involved in every piece of the build from start to finish, whether it's approving lines and, and looking at you know height adjustments to houses and soles, to um, drivetrain adjustment, interior design. We're going to be on every conference call with, with our clients, whether it's every week, every month doesn't matter we're we're on their schedule um but we're gonna be there i know i personally am on every single call with our clients whether it's to address an issue or whether we're doing conceptual reviews for interior furniture um i think that's what makes custom boat building so special there's nothing else like it there's i don't care if you're building a house you're not necessarily going to get to work with with the builder you know the the people who are designing it that's what custom boat building is. It's it's what makes it so special and amazing. I mean, at 82 feet, you're practically building a house on the water anyways. Yeah, just, it just has to make its own power and its own water and go 60 miles an hour. That's all. No, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's no big deal. I mean, John, it's John, let me ask you this. This is a personal question of mine because I'm super, super interested in this because I've, I, I obviously manage the Instagram page and, and, and I get into a lot of debates on Instagram over this specific topic. When you build a boat, do you build the boat so that it could handle the cockpit being completely flooded and backing down at like seven to eight knots? Or is that just something that so far so good and, and none of them have sank? Well, so there's, there's two parts to this answer. Uh, number one, a huge amount of time has been put into the design and engineering of that transom, right? The, the the tumble home, the shape back there, in order to create the driest backing down boat that we can. Um, I love, I personally love the way our boats handle when they're backing down. They stay incredibly dry, but that's by design. Now, as anybody knows, conditions, it doesn't matter what boat you're in, you're going to take water on. Um, I know who, who you all fish with, and I, I know the way they like to back down on fish. And it's going to get wet. You have to take that into account. Personally, I like a a watertight Freeman hatch over my lazarette. Uh, I think that does 
a, a, a great job of minimizing water intrusion down into that lazarette cavity. Uh, that's one way that we handle it, but also massive drains, big drain boxes, and a lot of pumping capacity. So if you do have that guy who's burying the transom in, in, in a six, eight foot sea, the boat's going to be able to handle it and not miss a beat. Is that something that you that you talk to the captain about before you build a boat? So let's just say I build a 60-foot boat. Do you put the biggest bilge pump that's on the market in there for that specific case? Or is that on demand? Well, we can always discuss with the captain changing pump sizes. But uh, for us, we know our product very well. We've been doing it for a very long time. Um, you know, 25 years building boats will teach you a lot. There's probably very few issues we haven't run into. And um, I know we're very comfortable with, with the pumps and their capacity, but for us, it's not about that. We don't want to leave it to the pumps, right? We want to minimize water intrusion as the boat's backing down by creating a, a, a dry transom uh, or having a, a good design transom that deflects water. And also to like I said, sealing that lazarette, keeping water out of there, and allowing the cockpit to drain itself. But, you know, big boxes, big drains it can handle a tremendous amount of water coming over that, over the transom. Got it. Got it. And now let me ask you this. If I wanted to make a boat that could go 33 knots through hell, like I'm talking about a boat that's built for rough seas and built to get, you know, really beaten up, would that change your build or would it be the same as your past builds? Not going to change. I'm, I wouldn't, wouldn't change the thing that we're doing right now. Okay. I mean, our, our boats are built to handle that right now. That's what okay. we, we go into every build with the idea that she's going to get put through the worst conditions. Okay. Okay. I was curious about that. Um... So what's, what's the top speed in reverse that you're kind of like, Everyone says like 10 knots going backwards. That's about usual, you know, in two to three foot seas, you know, and we're chasing a blue one on a 62 Spencer, you know, my captain, John, um, you know, every once in a while, like you said, you have the Freeman hatches over the top that are waterproof. My lazarette, my lazarette hatch will kind of lift up if we get in a down sea, you know, going back like that, it'll, it'll start to lift up a little bit. And then I'll just stand on it. Um, but then I have to go rinse and chamois the lazarette. So, I mean, that makes a big difference for us. But what's kind of your goal speed where it's like, okay, we can do this in two to three foot and not have to worry about water coming in or, you know, coming back up our drains or anything like that? Because water will come back. You know, you get that back pressure that feeds back up. I, I think that, honestly, it... We don't have a set threshold for speed backing down in order to keep the, the boat dry. It's it's so condition dependent, um, but I, I know I, I can say pretty confidently that at 10 knots, you're, you're going to have a very, very dry cockpit on one of our boats given the right conditions. Now, you start to push that and you start to push the conditions up a little bit. It really doesn't matter what boat you're in. You're, you're going to have water pouring in there. Um, we just, I know that we've spent so many years and so much time designing the boat. We don't ever want to have to have a pump kick on 
We want the boat to be able to handle it itself, get all that water out of there, get it clear, keep it safer for everybody. So to take this to a little less serious note, on in the build process and building boats in the industry right now, what's your favorite part of being a part of this industry? Uh, for me, it's all about camaraderie. Um, I just, I love our, our industry. I love our community, you know, that I can, you know, I know Jack, you, you're going to be on an FNS here shortly, but you know, Leo doesn't fish on an FNS chase, you know, unfortunately you got to fish with me on a, on a, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love, I love him. Love him. Just kidding, John. Um, but you know, you guys don't fish on FNS boats, but it doesn't matter. We're all sport fishing guys. We love it. We love boats. We love talking boats. I love that I can go to a tournament like the White Marlin Open here and go, you know, talk to, to Paul Spencer and he treats me, you know, amazing. I can talk to Randy Ramsey and he acts like, you know, I'm his, his grandson he hasn't seen in a long time. I can talk to captains on other boats. You know, one of my, one of my great friends, John Duffy, down in Ocean City, help. I guess technically he's a competitor of mine now. doesn't matter. We talk every day or you know, at least three times a week, bouncing ideas off each other and, you know, sharing fishing reports and how we're going to do something different on, on this next boat. That's, that's unique. There's no other industry that's like that. Right. We, we you can't call, uh, I don't know. who's like Jamie diamond at chase. He's not, you know, calling Warren Buffett asking for investing tips. You know, yeah. we, we're a, we're a such a tight knit community, and it doesn't matter where you go, you're always going to see people you know. That's that's very unique. So you guys all get on the phone together, you know, different boat builders, and talk about what would be a better way to build a boat. You guys will just spit ideas. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that everybody's like that, and there's certain things you're always going to keep close to the chest. But um, maybe maybe my relationship with with Duffy's unique. I I don't know. I don't. I know that I could pick up the phone tomorrow and ask Randy Ramsey to come down and visit his facility and ask him any question in the world. And he's going to be super accommodating and welcome me down there tomorrow and show me anything that I want to see, because that's the way that it was when he started building boats, you know, him and, and Omi and, and, and Ricky, I think they all pretty much did the same thing with each other. And I know I want to keep it that way. I, and you know, Duffy and I, yeah, we, We'll, we'll bounce ideas off each other. We'll share ideas. You know, is that going to hurt us? I don't think so. I think it's just going to keep keep sport fishing and custom boat building going longer and longer. And for for he and I, I, I hope it'll drive more people uh, from from the sunny shores of Florida up here to, to Delmarva to take a look at a, their next custom boat. What has been the most memorable part of the entire of your entire boat building career? Uh, for me, uh, getting to spend, you know, time with, with my family, you know, my, my father and my uncle doing something that they love, but also just the people. I mean, our, our employees are amazing guys from all walks of life. I got guys that could build boats with the best in the world, but who get seasick in a kayak, like could not go bass fishing. Um, but God they just they can build a hell of a boat and um that's that's everything to me is is our people our employees getting to provide a better life for them is is that's what i'm in it for i'm not in it 
I have no desire to to live in a big house. I'm a, you know, I don't want to say I'm a redneck, but I'm definitely more of a, you know, laid back country country guy. And uh, it, for me, it's all about providing a better life to to our employees and doing what I love, which is building boats and getting to fish with with some of the most amazing teams in the world. So who are you uh, fishing with? I spent a lot of City? time down there with uh, with Captain Tucker. He's he's definitely become a, a great friend, and he's he's a hell of a captain. Um, but I get to fish a lot with uh, Mr. Mead, and also with my my buddy Mike Pete on the No Quarter. He's got a '56 Taylor made. Uh, I worked I worked on there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love, love. Oh yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time with Mike Pete. Mike Pete's don't, my, they don't, uh, my they dude. don't get any better than that guy. I love him. <laughs> he, he's the best. No, he's he's are, a great. Are you dude. going again this year to the to to the, to Marlin Open? Every year, don't miss it. I have, haven't since I was a little kid, man. I was fortunate enough. My my old man they they won in a, they won the White Marlin twice on the Sea Toy when I was a little kid, and I would love to. You know, that was back before there was this all this money in it. Unfortunately. But um, still, I'd love to, to see one of our boats. We, we had the True Grit that won it. Um, gosh, I'm going to forget the year now. But we've had, we've had an FNS up on that winner's, winner's step once, and uh, I just want to see it happen again. The, uh, the Fanatic. Out of, the it's Fanatic out of was. River, we have right? the Phenomenal, hall number three. Mm-hmm. Or the Phenomenal, yeah. yeah. The green, green hall bit, right? It's, it's pretty cool to see you know the way the boats have changed that you you so that built. has a whole different um, wheel design to it, right? If I'm not, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, the the uh, Espadon, correct was is an yeah. FNS as well. So that has more of your, let's call it the classic, um, sheer break, you know, Carolina classic style. Built oh yeah, in our, first, Delaware, our first, our yeah. first five. You know, we uh-huh. we I call them the original five. We those boats were actually built on jigs that, you know, my uncle and and Joe Bonvetti, I sat up there and watched them cut them with uh, hand saws and, and band saws. Literally cut the jig piece by piece for each one of those boats, um, and they are definitely more of your classic Carolina. You know, lots of flare, hard, you know, great big break in the shear. So what what changed is we really started, especially after the Espadon went uh, back, and, and that's when we started getting involved with the original CAD design, and we started CNCing all of our jigs, and we kind of changed the, the the profile a little bit in order to increase performance. We gained a lot of height on our steps. We carry the steps all the on the keel all the way through to the chine now, uh, and there's less flare. It's a much sleeker, sharper look than those first five boats. But I don't know. I'm a I'm an old Carolina fan, man. I love those old boats. I love the old Ricky boats with that big shear break and you know tons of flare. I I love it. I don't. I'm. I'm sure you've seen it. The uh, the par five. It sits right down at the end of the uh, dock near 
oh, yeah. on special situation stock and sea dock. You know that par five beautiful. Ricky boat, absolutely beautiful. But oh, I think yeah. it's, I mean, it's his an early boats have changed a lot. And his boats that, have changed that look a lot. is timeless. They have, uh, you know, I, I still think Ricky Junior builds a beautiful boat. Oh, um, no doubt. But you know, it's it. I think it's natural. I don't think you can look at any builder and, you know, I hope they're not doing what they, they did if they've, they've been around as long as Scarborough has, right? They, you've got to adapt. you got to change, um, you know, the, that whole flair for the sake of flair. I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense up to a point. It does an amazing job, but there is such thing, in, in my mind, it's just my opinion, as as too much flair. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I think everybody tries to evolve and, and just create a, a more refined product. The longer you're in business, the more you're going to do that. Uh, I know we certainly have, and I, th- I think every other builder is looking at it the same way. That experience gives you the opportunity to evaluate what you did and, and how to do it better on the next boat. What, what, it, what my analy- let me make an analysis of the FNS boats because I've seen throughout the years. Would it be true if I told you that FNS's boats, the house has become a little bit smaller throughout the bridge because I don't know Magic Touch had a big house. Um, I believe Doña Lucy had a huge house back in the for a fifty-six footer. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, for us, they they were definitely on the on the larger side. And then the sixty-six was smaller again. That one was kind of, in my opinion, a tiptoe where you saw a look in the boats change. Is that is that is that correct analysis? Absolutely. I'd say that, like I mentioned earlier, there was really a push for a little bit more interior room, um, which the sleeker the boat looks on the outside, you're always going to have less room inside. But we, we, we try to maximize that. And I, I think there, kind of in that transition period you're mentioning, we, we just decided we weren't going to we're not going to focus as much on on the spaciousness as we were the sleekness and sexiness of the boat. Um, not saying you can't have both, but there there is definitely a very fine line there. When you start to create those real tight curves, you're all you're you're cutting into all your headroom and storage space and living quarters. So you, you gotta you gotta there is a trade off there. Because the seventy two was big, right? The MoMA built has been. Mm-hmm. Then you had Magic Touch with a big house. Then you had Tonya Lucy with a big house. And then the 67 came along, which is now the Snafu. And there, it's, that one's, that's a lot sleeker. And then came and the blue time, I think. And that one was gorgeous. Yeah, we've really carried that, that same design through what is now the Snafu um, into our boats, like Special Situation, and especially on, on these newer boats where... We just want to keep that real sleek, sleek look. Uh, I think special the 78 special situation really embodies that. You know, you get a good kind of water, off the water look at her. Uh, I like to think it looks like a Ferrari, you know, just real tight curves, sleek lines. Um, and that's what we're going for. Well, you consider sure, that a flagship, say, right? Uh, she is absolutely our flagship. Not only is she the biggest, she's you know, a 40, 45, 46 knot boat at, at 78 feet and fishes, I'll put her up against anything out there. I, I love, love everything about her. I, I don't have a favorite, but if I did, 
she she might be might be there close <laughs> to the top. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't worry. You can say it. It's hush hush. It's just between us. I love them all. I love them all. <laughs> but I can't get over. That's just so fast. I was just doing on the way back home today. I was doing, you know, 35, 36 knots back home, and I'm like, I'm sitting there envisioning a 78 foot boat moving that fast. It's just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. It's just that's fast. <laughs> yeah, I'll actually go back to what Leo asked me earlier. Is what's what's the uh, the the best part of my career? Uh, boat building and I'm going to take my previous answer back and say that it's uh, shooting past the fleet and uh, coming into Ocean City Inlet uh, at, at 40, 42, 43 knots. That's, I think that's going to go up to number one. Which boat was that on? <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've on? watched you do oh, it. In a special situation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well. Yeah. I'm excited uh, to hop on that boat. <laughs> yeah, we, they've done some flybys to us when I was on the no quarter and then you guys did it again to us this year on the, uh, show time, just Rub to, uh, just Don't to worry, show you, off Jack, a little cap, bit. How can your I captain say? will never show off. That's not what he's about. Tucker is, uh, he's God's gift to fishing. I've heard Don't that, forget yeah. about that. At, at that speed, are you guys <laughs> at, you know, a hundred percent load to the pins or is that just casual cruising? No, I mean, I, I would say, you're you're definitely creeping up 92 93% load at at 43 44 uh that boat i i i just know i try and keep track of all these i know she on the pins you know i i better keep these numbers to myself yeah yeah, 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 you. yeah you're all good you're all just, good you're all good i'm i'm just going to say hey, really fast you don't have to you don't okay. have to okay yeah. got it got it you're all good no, but to be honest, John, I, I, no, that's I've all spoke, we needed to know. I've spoken to this with 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 a lot of guys, a lot of other builders, and that's true. That's the right answer because it depends on how the dirty the bottom is, the wheels, the amount of fuel. We all we all know we can we can take it down in, you know, inside Palm Beach and get the right right wind, right conditions, right yeah. current. We can make it do anything we want. Um, I think the real test is when you're out there and that fleet, it's, it's, you know, lines out and everybody's got to make a run for the dock. That's, that's where you really see what happens. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, yeah, when you're the first in line for fuel, it's, it's kind of the best feeling it in the is. world. But so John, if anyone for our listeners that are trying to keep along and follow along with FNS Boatworks, can they do it? Where can they do it on Instagram? So, Where can we get the latest updates on builds? Yeah, our, our uh, and so on and so forth. Our marketing manager does an amazing job now with our our Instagram and Facebook. Um, uh, so Casey Johnson, uh, she does all of our our social media now. Best way to find us is usually on Instagram. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, but I don't know. I guess still, people still use Facebook. I like uh, I check our, our Instagram or. Our, our new website, which we have launched uh, the first part. We're going to be relaunching everything with new content at www.fsboatworks.com uh, here uh, about a week from now. Awesome. And and what's what's the future of FNS look awesome. like? Awesome. Are you guys going to – what do you guys have in plans if you can share any of that at all? Or is... Yeah, so uh, the future is very bright. I think like a lot in the marine industry, we've, we're very fortunate through this this pandemic and – we're we're stacked up with boats for 
for about the next five years. Um, we've got, as you said, we have 282s and the 58 going right now. Uh, starting around September, we're going to be doing another 82. So we'll have 382s going at once. And after that, we've got a 68. And after that, we've got a 54 Express. So uh, quite, a, quite a lot going on in our future. It's, it's definitely very bright. Very, very fortunate and blessed. You know, it's it's been awesome talking to you because I got to learn a lot more about boat building. You know, I've been around these boats for a while now and learning about it and hearing about it and hearing it coming from, an, you know, someone who's doing it every day. And, you know, I got to talk to John down at John Duffy. You know, I got to talk to him while we were in the boat yard and he was doing stuff on our boat. Um, you know, the, the, the intricacies of this boat building process is insane and we can't thank you enough you know you guys produce a beautiful boat um i know you said you're going to stick around we had a bunch of topics to cover but you know we're just going to do two um and we want to hear your input on these as well because they kind of apply well one of them applies to you guys as well um and one of them is going to be breaking into the industry um you know a lot of kids you know, a lot of younger guys are trying to get into the industry and they're asking about how to get into, you know, not only boat building, which we asked you about, but mating in general. Um, how can they do it? How can they get into it? You know, the the industry is saturated right now with people buying boats. And obviously, John, you know that you guys are probably getting calls about building boats. And, you know, this industry right now is on fire and mates are a hot commodity um so people want to know how they can you know start getting ride-alongs and all that kind of stuff uh for me my best advice is walk docks uh you know walk a dock go along see what's going on talk to people selling yourself is key um the way that i did it was i emailed every boat in ocean city Anyone that had an email got an email from me. I basically said that I wanted to get involved. Uh, you know, I wanted to go see if this was for me. Eventually, someone got back to me aboard the Marley, started fishing with them. Uh, I, you know, I always say I was really lucky that they got back to me. But the biggest thing is get in front of people. You know, to be completely honest with you, if I have someone come walk down the dock and they ask if you know, they can come ride along. If they sell sell themselves to me as, you know, a good kid or, you know, uh, someone I can trust, I'm probably going to let them ride along. I mean, there's not many mates out there right now for people to hire. And, you know, there's boats being bought up. And these, everybody's looking for a mate. You know, especially a good one. You know, this goes with the boat building industry for the guys that are trying to get into it. Uh, and like you said, you know, go learn. And that's th the same goes for mating. You know, you got to go learn. I was lucky enough to learn from some great guys. John Mead, my captain, he's one of the best mates I've so ever much. seen work cockpit right there. Um, don't tell him I don't, don't tell him I said Yeah, that. I have him upstairs, so. <laughs> no. No, we don't want his, we don't want his head to go a little bit, blow up a little bit, but. 
No, he's he's turned me into a mate that you know I wasn't expecting to be. I'm I'm very thankful to him. Um, you know, I I'd like to think that I could hold my own with him, but he talks to me about, hey, let's go down the coast Rica and fish on the chasing tail, and I'll hop in the cockpit with you. And he looks at me and goes, I'll run circles around you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I tell him. I always tell him, I'm like, no, you're too old. You forget what you're doing. I'll run you over. So we kind of have that relationship going. But Skipjack, I mean, your your dad owns a boat. You know, how how can someone go and if they want to go learn or ride along with your dad, is there a way that they can get involved in that kind of stuff? You know, how are you going to get I mean, to a, a charter boat down here in Florida? This is what I, I mean, this is how the way I got my job on a charter boat when I was down in the Keys. You know, I was... A lot of guys on charter boats. Sometimes you go down there and you walk the docks, especially if you go early in the morning. You know, if they have a shirt first thing in the morning, sometimes that mate doesn't show up. And if you show up every single morning and you wait there and you wait until somebody messes up, that captain's gonna look at you and go, "Hey, you, let's go. You're my mate for the day." And if you perform well, sometimes they'll even tell you you're gonna be on this boat now, or you'll be doing back and forth with this mate and uh, yourself. So I think a lot of times sitting there in the morning, being there early in the morning and waiting for somebody to mess up or waiting for somebody to miss their day, that's a good opportunity for you to hop on a boat and show what you got. You know, I've, I've heard old uh, stories from Oregon Inlet where guys used to just sit there exactly. and they just wait for someone to oversleep and, and that's where they jump into their opportunity. But... I mean, for me, you know, when we're tied up in Ocean City, we see people behind the boats all the time. John can tell you there's those docks are constantly active. Um, but I think this was the first year. I, I, I don't think I ever had someone ask to ride along. Um, we did run into uh, Cody Poehler. Cody ended up being my second mate for the winter because he came he you know asked if he could help me out with anything and he started working along with me never asked for any money or anything just kind of i mean he showed up he helped me wax or booster coat the ceramic on my hall and i was like hey what are you doing this winter and he was like i don't know i was like well you want to go sail fishing so i'm oh he he lives with me now you know um but he was ecstatic. So that kind of stuff, you know, that selling yourself on the work ethic is my best advice. You know, go down the docks, sell yourself. Um, you know, John, I'm sure if someone walks into your shop and yeah, says, How they does someone get a job at FNS? How, how can they go about it for the boat work, an internship? Well, uh, I'll just say first on, on the mate piece, you know, I, I do think that you guys are, are right on point. I, I got three phone calls in the past week of, of captains, two of which aren't even FNS captains looking for mates. Um, so I think there is a ton of demand out there. Um, I, I think that from my perspective, the best thing that you could do in that regard is, is professionalism, you know, present yourself to be a, you know, clean and, and trustworthy and well-spoken because let's face it, the, the folks that you're going to be fishing alongside, these are not, uh, these are professional people. These are people who typically are, are, are wealthier, 
who are not looking for somebody who's walking up with a you know a cigarette in their hand or a beer in their hand uh, you know watch watch the way you handle yourselves on the dock watch you know don't go partying too much and you know getting a reputation for that because that'll catch up with you in regards to working in in the boat building industry i mean we're i, I would say it's it's more about uh, skills you know we're we're not looking for people who are necessarily looking for a job we we want people who are looking for a career and we we're also not necessarily looking for people who you know oh yeah i i did a little bit of uh plumbing courses in in high school you know we're looking for professionals because we're putting out a very very high quality product that we're not going to compromise so i think the best thing you could do is study your trades whether you're a carpenter whether you're a plumber an electrician you know if if diesel mechanic is is what you're pursuing you know become not just good at it become great at it because that's what we're looking for and i feel like anybody can go do you know trim or put up wains coating on on you know the same wains coating on 10 different houses it takes a truly special individual to come into a boat, uh, especially one with all these curves and, and unique shapes and challenges, and to be able to look at it and visualize in their head what it's going to look like and then craft that out of wood. That's that's a special individual, and it's somebody who's spent a lot of time at their craft. Um, I think if you want to be you know, at the pinnacle of boat building, that's what you need to do. Figure out what your craft is and become truly great at it. Absolutely. And I think back to what you were saying earlier about that reputation, being able to be well-spoken and look good at the dock. You go out and party. And I've seen some guys who have done it where they go out to the wherever they are, whatever boat they're on, they go out and they party, and they party too much. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they get the reputation of, hey, that's that guy that goes out and parties all the time. Like, hey, he's a crazy guy. You know, he, he gets that crazy reputation. And even though you might catch on to it and you might see yourself, like, you know, hey, I want to stop doing that. It seems like that will always follow you, even though if you stop doing it, you'll still be known as that guy. Yeah, the industry is just too small. I mean, like we say, we whether it's Ocean City in the summer or Palm Beach in the winter, it's all it's the same boats, the same people. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everybody, and small world. No captain's going to take a risk of putting a you know a loose cannon on a boat with their owner. They they can't. It's there's too much at risk and. It's too high stress, too high pressure. You're not going to do that. So, uh, I would. I think that's just huge. It's something people don't put enough thought into. Is you know, you got to have that reputation as a guy they can rely on and who's not going to, you know, make poor decisions. Yeah, I feel like your reputation is almost everything in this industry. I mean, I to put it this way, I call Ocean City home. And when I went down to Costa Rica, it was like walking the docks at home. You know, for the most part, I could look at people and be like, I know that guy. I know that boat. I know the owner of that boat. I know that captain. I know that mate. And, you know, this industry is so small yet so widespread that a reputation will carry. Um, And your reputation carries a lot of weight. So, you know, selling yourself as a professional, someone who's, you know, the clean cut like you said and that doesn't mean you gotta key, lose sight beautiful. of who you are i mean people love um, i love it when a mate has a yeah, lot of character you know and and is a unique individual but 
you know, the, don't take it too far. I mean, when you get home at night, sit down, have a cocktail. It's all good. You know, it, it just doesn't mean that every night you need to go out and drink. And, you know, in our industry or party, and I have nothing against the guys that do, um, but yeah. in our industry, it's very available. You're in, yeah. you know, you're in Ocean City, you're 20 steps from Teasers. You know, in Palm Beach, there's a bar on every block. Um, you know, pretty much all that kind of stuff. But, you know, just keep your head straight and go walk the docks, see what you can do, and someone's going to take you. It's just consistency. you got to create the opportunity. Key. You know, uh, you don't got to wait for you to get in the mate world. You have to create the opportunity. I'll give you yeah. an example. Um, a guy that John knows very well by the name of Nick Ede. Um, he started out with us. The, the, it was cool because he pitched me the idea of joining Billfish Gear at the time um, with doing tournament stuff, right? With starting with tournament, going with the trailer and going to tournaments. And he he bought a seven thousand dollar trailer, and Billfish Gear didn't buy that. That was just his personal money. It was kind of his idea of of paying his dues. Um, and obviously, when someone approaches with that mindset and that that determination, and willing to you know contribute to the overall vision, um, you treat someone like that with a very high level of respect because they have that professionalism and that that will to sacrifice. And I think with the sport fishing industry, it's no different. You know, if someone comes up and he's like, "Oh, can you help shammy the boat?" I mean, who? Everyone wants help shamming the boat because it's not a pleasant thing to do. But if someone comes up and they want to help you, I mean, nine times out of ten are going to say yeah because usually a boat has a lot of chamois on board and it's just a tedious process and any help would be appreciated. I'll tell you what right now. There's, you know, at the time there's this 10-year-old kid named Jace. His dad owned you the know, Jets, three you know Jace. Who he is. If you're in Ocean is that, City, you're is probably his name by any chance boat. Chase Diller? Oh yeah. Jace. Oh Jace. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's Jace with a J. Um, but his dad owns the three J's, and he used to come to me like, you know, they were on B dock, and then now they're on C dock, and they got a new boat and all that kind of stuff. But he would come down the dock, and he'd be like, "Can I go fishing with you? Can I shammy? You know." And I'd be like, hey, Jace, can you be here tomorrow at 10 a.m.? He'd be like, yeah. He'd show up. I'd ask him, I'd be like, hey, can you help me soap the boat? And he'd be like, yep, no problem. He'd help me soap and shammy the boat. And then I'd take him fishing. And, you know, it's incredible. You know, this was a 10-year-old kid at the time. And now he's, I mean, he's still there every day. 12, 13, maybe 14 at this point. Still there every day. But he's fishing with, you know, he, he fishes with us. He fishes with the Bar South. You know, I, I go over, I tried to get him to ride along with me this past summer. I was like, Jace, do you want to go fishing? He's like, That's awesome. I'm booked for the next week. I was like, yeah. you're, I was like you're 13 yeah, years sorry, old. Sorry, man, I'm, I'm booked for the season. <laughs> you're 12 years old. What are you doing? You know, and I was like, how is how is he on this like this? But. You know, that's the difference, and, you know, he was just around and doing it, and, you know, I, I get a lot of people that, or I had this one kid message me, and he asked me, he said, hey, can, you know, how do, how do I get into this, and I said, 
well, come on down. I never saw him. You know, and that and that's the thing. Like, if he would have came down to introduce himself and been like, hey, can I go fishing with you? I'd have been like, why don't you come help me soak the boat a day so we get to know each other or something like that, and then we go fishing, you know, and go from there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's selling yourself. If a 10-year-old and 11-year-old kid can do you it, have to be careful with some of those people I, I think someone that. who's a little a older times, can do it, too. Random people um, that don't fish at all, that have never fished. A lot of times you get caught off guard real quick sometimes with those kids that ask you, like, hey, I want to come fishing. They're just like, when they get on the boat, they don't know what a chamois is <laughs> at all. I'm fine with that. That was me. I didn't know a thing. I was a bass fisherman. I didn't know a thing. I didn't know what a chamois was. I didn't know anything. The, you know, Mark Stevens, the guy who trained me, he looked at me and he was like, you use this to dry the boat. You don't use it as a rag. You know? And I was like, okay. And, you know, that was, that was eight years ago. And, you know, I'm not, I haven't been around nearly as long as a lot of guys have, but I'll tell you, if someone wants to come learn from me and, you know, I've had the opportunity to learn from a lot of really good guys and I can pass that, not what little knowledge I have along, because I still have a lot to learn and I can pass it along, I'd love to do it. Um, but, and you, I mean, John, you know, my captain, John, and he'll tell you straight up, he wants to teach people. You know, he doesn't want this industry to be to a point where you got 20 boats trying to hire one kid. You know, he doesn't want that. He wants there to be work for everybody. And right now there is. There's almost too much work. So we need those kids who don't don't know anything to teach them. And if you can take them and teach them, you know, a good way, or some people might call it the right way or my way or however it is, if you can teach them, that's crucial. I think I misspoke you know? when I said it. I think it was more... Just get them into it. Get them involved. They don't know anything about it. They want to get into it. It's those kids that you know, might, might might not be very trust trustworthy. They might be coming from a bad part of town that might try to take advantage of you in a sense. That's kind of what I'm getting more out of. There's there's always that, and that's, that's why I ask them, like, hey, can you come soap the boot with me? You know, like Cody, who ended up second mate in for me all, all winter he you know and like I said he showed up for three weeks straight almost every day never asked for pay never did anything he just came to help me I was yeah, I was not, painting the bottom on our nothing bed. to make friends quicker than standing and painting paint our the bottom, bottom. <laughs> and he came and helped yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah like I don't want to do it you know, yeah, if absolutely. I can get someone to ease the burden and be in the yeah, pain yeah. with me, I'm all for it. You know, I'll, I told him, I was like, I'll take you out and get you some, get you a beer or something. But, you know, I, I can't sit here and pay you that's the, $200 that's the a day or whatever. Like but anything else, I'll, I'll take you, you know, out and start for helping. It's normal for your eyes to burn like that. Don't worry about it. It's not going to, won't last long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you when you sneeze yeah, for ten hours when you get home, it's, it's all good. You're all right. Uh, every once in a while, or pretty much every time. But, but no, you've ever no. met him, like a smaller kid. Well, no. It was funny. He actually came up to me at the no, sand one day at a tournament. I was fishing on my boat, and it was him. And he was just, you know, he didn't know much about fishing. He used to fish with his, you know, buddies, you know, you know, fishing near coastal and stuff. And he actually came up to me and was like, "Hey, you know, I really want to get into this tournament fishing." I'm like, 
come fishing. He's like, well, when can I go? I was like, I'm going two days from now. You want to come out kite fishing and just, you know, see what you can do? And he's like, yeah. Sure enough, he comes out. And, I mean, that kid is a hard little worker. I mean, anything I ask him to do, he does it with a smile on his face. And he wants to learn. And he still fishes with me today, every day. Even in the selfish tournaments, he's there every tournament now. And he's gotten wow. a lot better, and he loves it now. Now he's working Ooh. on true grit. And if he could... If he can live through a day of kite fishing, that tells you a lot about the guy. <laughs> yeah. put, up, put up with a lot of boredom. Yeah, I thought it was really cool seeing him come from, you know, fishing intercoastal to come fish with me, you know, being how young I am, be able to just a little bit to be able to go work with a guy, True Grit, and how much hard work he puts in to be able to go out and do that kind of stuff with them. And he's going to learn a lot more from those guys now. I thought it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, but all right, fellas. So normally, John, we end every episode with the highlight of the week. Um, so it, it can be anything, you know. So if you want, you know, throw yours in there. Uh, for me, my highlight of the week is probably going to be the Bar South did it today. They caught a 165-pound yellowfin um, off the kites, uh, you know, down here in Florida. Uh, Skipjack, I know you, I think you have a cool one. Um, yeah. If yep. if you're gonna say what I think you're gonna say about the swordfish baits, I don't. I figure that's where you're gonna head. Um, but having a boat building one would be cool too. So my highlight of the week goes out to shout out to the guys in the bar south and Raul. Congratulations. Yeah, that kid Billy. Carson Skipjack, let's hear yours. I know what I think. I know what it's gonna up, be. Saw a bunch of birds and. They said the hell with it. Started trolling sword baits out in the sword grounds right off Florida here, and caught five yellowfin tuna trolling sword baits around a school of school of them. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's that's really cool. Yeah, talk about the right place at the right time. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'm gonna have to give this one to John real quick while I. Think what you got, Leo? Mine. <laughs> um. Well, Ooh, I'm gonna. Get I'd say mine is uh, is pretty easy because unfortunately for us, we're uh, we're just seeing our our first week of somewhat normal weather where it's been above 50 degrees for more than two or three days in a row. So uh, uh, August. You mean to tell me it hasn't been 90 degrees. It, it wasn't August. I, I don't think I've seen 90. I've since been then, I've but, been sweating every day um, down here. I'd say. Just a uh, shout out to to my guys uh, Efrain and uh, Raffo on the the Donna Lucy down in Capcana. You know, they had a, a hell of a day the other day. I think they ended up with uh, with like six whites and, and three sails. I know white marlin season's getting ramped up there. Uh, just super jealous and can't wait to to go visit them in Capcana. I got a good high of the week. Ready for this? This was the debate between the CV and the contender boat that oh, they were racing that. out of out of Hillsborough. Everyone got into war mode. Oh, death threats that. were going on in the comments. <laughs> that I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, from my from my opinion, when I was looking at that video, it seemed like the CV was running a lot more stable than the contender was. Although I'm a big contender fan, um, so I don't care if that is the case. If you Contenders sticking up my deposit. Um, but I guess let's close it out with Chase, who's got your deposit, which center console um, manufacturer. 
Oh, uh, man. Uh, I don't know. Out of every single one, by the way. I'm going to go CV. Strictly, yeah. strictly because I I used to have... Oh, out of every single one? I don't, I don't even know. I haven't been on Valhalla yet. I've been on CVs. I've been on you know, pretty much every other one. But I haven't been on a Valhalla boat. I've heard really good things. So that's pretty much Skip where Jack. I'm sitting right now. Um, but CV so as of now. Skip Jack. Until, until I, I hear anything. CV just because I mean, we have one. I've ridden on a few contenders. I haven't ridden on any of those bigger, newer ones yet. But those 39 CVs. And the thing is with triples. CV with triples. 39 triple CV. Those are, I think, the best riding right there. All right, John, who's got your deposit? Well, out of I, every single center console manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, what? Well, they oh, have F a 36 hey, fur, which was a tender a for the 67, center console correct? Too, like. Yeah, let's, whoa, <laughs> I, let's not, uh, no desire to get back into that world. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can have the smaller boats. Um, but I will say as a proud <laughs> contender owner myself, <laughs> All right. I, I think that, that, that thing had to be rigged. There's just no way. Oh boy. No way. I, I pulled every fish imaginable over the, the, the transom of my contender and I'm, I'm definitely going back there. My dad's first boat was a 21 foot contender. And I'll tell you that that thing will smoke boats over 30 footers over other brands absolutely insane and not and i've been on the cvs and they're okay and they're great but contenders got my deposit i don't know that's 27 on so i might put it up the 27 on so i might give it a run for oh my, my gosh he's so going up. I'm, uh, you said anything over 30. yeah i mean not, not anything i mean come on you, you, there's no replacement for displacement yeah real real boats real birds burn diesel no okay okay here come the loopholes all right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. John, thank you for joining us. It was, it's been awesome. John, just stick around for a second. All right, guys. And we'll, uh, into